0: Between now and Easter, we are going to be doing some identity anchoring through a sermon series called The Core. Uh, The idea here is for us all to get on the same page by going over what we call our core values, the things we value most as a church together, and then our our, our, uh, mission statement, uh, our reason for existing as a church. Uh, So for five weeks, we will... Turn our attention to defining who we are and what we're here to do. The first three weeks will be us looking at two core values each. So this morning, we'll look at the first two core values. The first is the authority of the word, and the second is the supremacy of Jesus. And I hope at the end of all this, that we are all on the same page, that we exist to lead people to know and trust Jesus as Castleton Community Church. Before we begin an endeavor that big, we should ask God's blessing. So would you pray with me? Father, thank you for this time and thank you for this church. Would you continue to knit our hearts together by your word? Would we, as we listen diligently to what you have said to us, would we find a greater love for Jesus, a greater allegiance to him, a greater joy in him? And would that draw us ever closer To each other, as we draw close to him, we pray in his mighty name. Amen. Way back in the day, my first job was working for a pretzel company. And uh, like any organization, this pretzel company had some things they valued quite a bit. Three things specifically. Every new employee had to learn them. First, they valued the freshness of their pretzels. Don't want an old pretzel. You want a brand new, fresh, hot pretzel. Secondly, they valued the friendliness, two Fs, easy to remember, friendliness of the employees. You're supposed to have a smile on your face no matter what the customer says to you. And then third, they value a clean store. And that meant lots and lots of wiping up all sorts of fun stuff for my first job. Um, Aside from earning a little bit of money and smelling like pretzels at the end of it, I had those three things drilled into me because it's really important for any organization to define what are we really all about? What do we value? What are we here to do? In that case, it was selling pretzels in a very particular way. Well, we as a church, as Castleton Community Church, we need to define Who we are and what we are here to do. And so we're going to do that in this series, The Core. Uh, The the first two core values we look at can be drawn from Hebrews 1 1 to 4. They build on each other. The first, the authority of the Word, and then what that Word shows us is most valuable, the supremacy of Jesus. We'll, We'll look at each in turn. Let's begin in 1 through 2. The authority of the Word, the authority of the Word interesting research out of Pew back in 2018, 75% of Americans say that they talk to God. 75%. Most of Americans say they talk to God. Only 30% think that God talks back, that there's any way that they could ever know what God thinks, that he communicates. That's a 45% gap of people that think that they're having a one-sided conversation with God. Now, we need to realize that the Bible, as it presents God, it shows us a very different reality than that. It shows us that we worship a God who speaks to us. Hebrews 1, verse 1, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. If you were to summarize the Old Testament, you might say this. It is God speaking to his people. There's a long track record that goes back many ways to many different people. Spoke to Moses through a burning bush. He speaks through angelic messengers. He speaks through prophets. He, He has them write down his speech. Yet over and over again, this is true. God speaks. Now, I think the author of Hebrews has in mind here that God speaks specifically through all of what we refer to as the Old Testament. Uh, back in those days, there were three major divisions. If you went into the temple, you would find with the scrolls of what was considered the scriptures. There was the, the first five books, the, the Torah that we got from Moses. There were the prophets, the, the, what was called the Nevi'im the major and minor prophets, and then there were the other writings, the Ketavim, the Psalms, the Proverbs, the other historical writings. And if you were to take the time to study in this book, you'd see that the book of Hebrews has the whole Old Testament all over it. All three major divisions that existed in that day are present in this book. And that means that this book is built on the assumption that the God of the Old Testament spoke through the Old Testament scriptures, and those were, are God's very words. Well, it's not just that he speaks, it's the implication that comes from a God that speaks. That if this God speaks, we are expected to listen because his words are authoritative. Uh, Way, way back in the day now, feels like that long anyway, about 10 years ago, no longer than that. I guess it'd be about 13 years ago now when I was a first semester in seminary. I uh, went to my first end, uh, my first uh, systematic theology class. That's where they throw you into the deep end of the theological pool and watch you sink. Um, and in this particular class, I, I sat down and I saw on the syllabus the name of the instructor, Dr. Raymond, and then I saw under the list of assigned books, Systematic Theology by Dr. Raymond. And, and pretty quickly I realized we, I was going to be hearing a lot from one particular guy on this subject. There was, there was no question who the authority was in this scenario. We were going to be studying Dr. Raymond's take on systematic theology. Well, if God speaks to us, the God who made us, the God who never lies, who never makes mistakes, if, if he speaks to those people that he's created Well, I think there's no doubt who is the authority, right? If God speaks, we're expected to listen. And that listening brings with it the obligation of responding rightly to God's words. You can see this coming out in Deuteronomy. uh, God gives his word through Moses. And then he warns the people about taking care not to edit or omit or add to anything of what he said. Deuteronomy 4 verse 2. You shall not add to the word which I command you, nor take away from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you. When God speaks, we don't have the authority to ignore or edit or add. No, instead we are to to keep, to take his word and to internalize it and change ourselves according to it. Because when God speaks, his very authority goes with his words. See, the the right reaction to God's words is for us to treasure them, for us to trust that they are true. You can can see this coming out in Psalm 119, verse 57. The the Lord is my portion. I promise to keep your words. That's the right reaction to when God speaks, to keep his words and to treasure them. Think of the examples throughout the Old Testament of when people... Keep God's words, and when do they choose to ignore them? Think of Moses. Moses received direct speech from God, direct words. Moses, he struggled with those words. He wanted to, to ignore them, yet God wouldn't let him. And at the end, though, Moses obeyed. The result, he becomes one of the great heroes of the faith, the leader of God's people through one of the greatest eras of their history. Think, on the other hand, what happens to Pharaoh. Pharaoh hears God's words, yet Pharaoh decides to ignore them. Again and again, Pharaoh decides to edit or ignore God's words, and in the end, Pharaoh finds his ruin as a result. See, if God speaks and his authority goes with his words, we are under obligation to respond rightly to keep his words. Well, it's not just that his words uh, command something of us. It's also that his words are powerful. That God's words are his instruments to accomplish his will in this world. Think, Think back to Genesis 1 and 2. How is it that God makes the world and everything in it? He speaks. He speaks. When God sends his word, things happen. The things that God designs to happen. Isaiah 55:10 through 11 captures this power of God's word well. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose, And so succeed in the thing which I sent it. We shouldn't be surprised when it starts warming up and we see rain when the grass turns green and yes, even those dandelions start growing. That's just how it works, right? The the rain and the climate, they are the thing that brings about the growth. Well, in the same way, God uses his words. You should not be surprised when God's word is sent out that it accomplishes the thing that God intends for it to do. When God sends his words to convict, the result is repentance in his people. When he sends his words to harden, the result is judgment on a people. When God sends his words to comfort, the result is life and sustenance through his word. God's words are not just commands, they are powerful and they accomplish the very thing God wants to do in this world. And that means his words are worth our attention. Now, it's one thing to say that God speaks, it's another thing to say his words are authoritative, it's another thing to say even that his words are powerful. But a really important question is, are his words complete? Are his words complete? Well, that's what the second half of that verse speaks to. How, uh, I'm sorry, verse two speaks to is the finality of the way God has spoken in the revelation of Jesus Christ. Let me read it in context. Beginning of verse one. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers through the prophets. But on the other hand, in contrast, in these last days, he has spoken to us By his son. In the past, God spoke that way, but now in these last days, he has spoken, and it's abrupt, even more abrupt than in the English, in son, through Jesus, through the final revelation that Jesus brought. I uh, had an opportunity where someone came into my home to do some work in my house and whenever I have a captive audience, I at least try to have a gospel conversation to see maybe the Lord will open the way for me to share the gospel. So in this particular case, I decided to take the line of, hey, do do you think God speaks to us today? And uh, usually when you ask one of those kind of leading questions, you can tell by the look on their face whether it's going to go anywhere. And he got a look on his face immediately. uh, A look that said, oh, I'm so glad you asked. He said, "Uh, well, as it happens, God speaks. And he speaks directly to me. Because as you see, I'm a prophet. And I said, oh, interesting. Please tell me about this. And he said, well, turned out this guy had had some sort of near-death experience. He, He saw a light. He thought he was dead. And he believes he was given a mission from God, a mission to all the religions of the world, that they all have it wrong, that in fact that we are supposed to just be nice to each other and that's what it means for you to live in God's blessing and one day to be with him in heaven, and he said, and you know, I, I don't discriminate. I go to synagogues, I go to mosques, I go to churches, and you're a pastor. I would love to come to your church and give your people this word from God. Now, no, don't worry, there's no guest speaker coming. <laughs> uh, I did not even for a second think, oh yes, this is a, a word that we need to hear. Why? Now, why? Why do we out of hand know that this would not be a word from God? Well, it's because God has given us the fullness of his word through the final word that is Jesus. Jesus is the last revelation from God. And that, that means that the books that make up the revelation of Jesus, what we call the New Testament, the, the books that tell us about him, and the books from the men that were in his presence and commissioned by, as, by him as apostles, those books are the final installment of God's revelation to us, until the final, uh, until the age ends. In the coming of Jesus, we have everything we need from God, everything we need for life, everything we need for godliness, everything we need to truly know God. We don't need another prophet to come and tell us what God is like. You can see this in Second Timothy, three sixteen and seventeen. It's a, a passage that's worth careful attention. We can only briefly look at it now. 2 Timothy three sixteen through 17. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. All scripture, certainly the Old Testament, certainly the New Testament also is breathed out, the very words of God. It, it's inspired by God through human messengers. And it's useful for something, for training, for equipping us to do the very things God's called us to do in this world. Everything we need, God has given to us in his word, illuminated by his spirit that came through the revelation of Jesus. Now, all of this adds together to what we, we call our core value of the authority of the word. We want to be whole Bible Christians. So we are committed to this together. It should appear on the screen behind me. The authority of the word means this. With Christ as our king, we joyfully submit ourselves to his word as our ultimate and sufficient authority. We are committed to preaching, praying, singing, teaching, counseling, sharing, and by the power of the spirit, faithfully walking in accordance to the whole counsel of God. Our core value of the authority of the word is to take seriously that if God has spoken, that we must listen to his powerful words, the words that reveal himself to us through Jesus. So what are some ways this will play out in our church as Castleton Community Church? Well, the first way is through a commitment to what we call expositional preaching. Expositional preaching is the type of preaching That exposes what's already there in the text and tries to say it in the same, uh, tries to say the same thing that the text is saying in uh, words that are understandable and applicable today. I was just at a uh, workshop that exhorts pastors to expositional preaching, and they defined it this way they said, It's where the main point of the sermon is the main point of the passage. That's what we're shooting for. Now, it's ironic that I bring up this application on a Sunday where I'm doing what the opposite of expositional preaching. I am preaching a topical sermon. Uh, topical sermons are not in and of themselves bad. Uh, Topical sermons, instead of taking a section of scripture and exposing it, instead they take all of what the Bible says on a particular topic and try to bring it together. Say this is what Christians should do in light of everything God's word says. Uh, But topical sermons are not a great diet over the long term because they tend toward emphasizing things that we like to emphasize and de-emphasizing things that we're uncomfortable with. Expositional preaching, on the other hand, as you just march through God's word, the emphasis God has put in his Bible becomes the emphasis that we hear together on Sunday mornings as we sit under God's word. And that's why Sunday to Sunday, you will generally just see us working our way through books of the Bible. We just finished Jonah. Next up over summer, we're going to be working through a a lengthy section in 1 Kings. Because we think this is the healthiest diet for us to hear God's word in the way God intended us to hear it. It's also why we have that little bit we do after the scripture reading. I I don't know, have you you noticed that? We, We read the scripture and then we say, this is the word of the Lord. And then you respond back and you say, Thanks be to God, right? Why do we do that? It's a reminder of the authority God's word has over all of us together. Uh, Another commitment that this will mean for us as a church is that we want to be a church that's committed to word-driven ministry across the board. Uh, Now, we have lots of different ages and stages in our church, but whether it's children's ministry downstairs or the senior saints that gather We want the Bible to be the thing that drives what we do. And we want the Bible to be the thing that God uses to change us to be more like Christ. I had someone that actually gave some criticism to our church along these lines. Criticism that frankly I'm a little proud of. Uh, They said, you know, it seems like all you guys do is study the Bible. It's like, I, I wish you would just do a little less of that. And at one level, I'm I'm, I'm happy. They understand where our emphasis in ministry is. I I wish they understood the value of God's word, the way God's word presents it. But realize that we are going to be committed to this uh, across our church. Uh, That's why if you come looking for counseling, we will try and give you biblical counseling. Counseling from the word of God. To help the, the word of God work into your bones to change you from the inside out whether it comes to how we come up with our statement of faith and our doctrines. I I hope you want us to be informed by uh, the history of theology, to to understand we stand on the shoulders of giants. But I hope most of all, you want to know that the things we believe together are coming straight out of the Bible. That the word of God is our final authority together. I think one area of application where this gets really personal really quickly is how you wrestle with the question of morality. We are living in a time where societally morality is shifting unbelievably quickly. And that means each of us have to make a decision. What will be the authority we look to for what is right and what's wrong? Even when it comes to, yes, our sexuality or how we think we are to live in relationship with others. If you're under the age of 30, I think you particularly need to hear this. You need to decide which words are more important to you. God's words or the words of social media or your peers. Which words will you live by? The the words that were passed down to you through scripture or the words of what is popular and seems right to people living right now. Now, I hope all of us have a commitment to God's word that goes so deep that we want what God wants for us. That we want to be people that search the scriptures ourselves and are continually changed more and more by them. And that we're committed to reading the Bible and to changing our lives according to the Bible when, it, when it's obvious that our life is out of step with it. But we need to ask the question, what is the thing that the Bible would have us value most? If we were to really pay attention to what scripture says, what is the crown jewel of scripture? What is supreme overall? Well, that brings us to our second core value. The supremacy of Jesus. The supremacy of Jesus. I'm going to read the second half of verse 2 through the end of verse 4. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God. And the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. The book of Hebrews has a sustained argument that runs through much of it a theme that's very strong that you can't miss as you read through it that begins here in this verse. It is this, that Jesus is greater. Jesus is greater, so don't go back to that former way of worshiping in the temple. No, just worship and stay with the community that's focused on worshiping Jesus. Jesus is greater than the prophets that were sent before. He is the final revelation from God. He is greater than the angels, the very messengers from God. He has a position they will never have. He is greater than Moses. He is greater than Joshua. He is greater than the priest in the temple. He is greater than the sacrifices in the temple. Jesus is greater than everything. And that's why he and he alone is the object of your worship. Well, those threads begin here in these first two, uh, these first verses. And um, we're going to tease out a few of the reasons that Jesus and only Jesus is worthy of our worship. First, he's worthy of our worship alone because he is the son who will inherit the world. He is the son who will uh, inherit the world. He, uh, Jesus, the son, whom he uh, appointed the heir of all things. You know, the idea of an heir with a royal family, even though we're not British, we still look across the pond and watch what happens with the royals with fascination. And certainly when a baby's born into the royal line, people are interested, especially if that baby might one day inherit the throne and all the riches and royalty that comes with it, we will be extra interested in that person. Ask yourself, who will inherit the greatest throne of all? The world, everything in the world, sovereign right to rule. Who will inherit it? According to the author of Hebrews, it is Jesus. There was a bit of a coronation that happened after Jesus died on the cross. He was raised back to life. Then he was raised back up into heaven. He ascended. And then he sat down at the right hand of the Father. He inherited a name that is above every name. That new place of authority belongs to Jesus, and it means Jesus has the sole right to rule this world and the world that will be remade one day on the final day of judgment. Now, don't mistake, friends, Jesus always was worthy of worship. And yet, in this arc of coming down into this world in the incarnation and then ascending back into heaven in his exaltation, Jesus has has inherited something he did not have before, the right to rule as the God-man, the only one in history that is both fully God and fully man and fully accomplished his father's will. So why do we worship Jesus? Why is he supreme? First, because he's the son that will inherit the world. That's not true of anyone else. Second, because he is the creator and sustainer of the world. Did you catch that? He upholds the universe By the word of his power, that through him also the world was created. If you go back to Genesis, you will not find the name of Jesus anywhere. God speaks, things are created. And yet as the revelation of Jesus filled in details that were previously unknown, we find that God's agent in creation was in fact the eternal word, Jesus himself. Jesus was the one who made the world and everything in it. And he is the one who continues to sustain the world right now. It says he does that by the word of his power. If you ask yourself, why is it? Why is it that gravity continues working day after day? Why is it that the laws of physics aren't just randomly changing one hour to the next? Why is it that the whole universe hasn't succumbed to entropy faster and everything's just uh, entered heat death where there's, everything's cold and unmoving? Why hasn't that happened? Why hasn't the coronavirus swept through this whole world and killed everyone? Well, the answer according to scripture is because Jesus is sustaining this world and all the life in it. He's not just the, the Jesus, meek and mild, Not just the Jesus of the felt board. He is the cosmic creator and sustainer of everything. Who else, who else can you worship but him as the creator and sustainer of the world? Third, he is the full representation of God. He is the full representation of God. We already saw that he is the final word from God. But here we're told that he is the exact imprint of his nature. He is the very radiance of the glory of God. When you go through the Old Testament, there's so often where God is revealed through bright light. How is it that a mortal creature with mortal eyes can see the invisible God? Well, one of the ways is by seeing an overwhelming light of some sort of radiance, a glory coming from him. Here we're told that God's radiance is, in fact, Jesus. The way you can actually see God. How do you see God? You you look at the man, Jesus. Uh, Not only that, he is the exact imprint of his nature. I I don't know if you've ever been to a mint and seen how they make coins. They get something like a stamp and they impress it upon the metal to to make the face and the shape of the coin. It's as if Jesus is the exact imprint of his father, an exact representation of him. We could truly know God if we truly know Jesus. He is the the full representation of God. Now, theologians have put this all together in the doctrine of the Trinity. We are to direct our worship to Jesus who in turn glorifies his father all by the power of the spirit. All three are fully God. All three are worthy of worship. And yet they work together in this way. They are of the same substance. That means they are all truly God. And yet they are different persons. They are distinct, not to be confused with one another. And that means they're not stealing worship from each other. As we worship Jesus... We worship the Father by the power of the Spirit. Jesus is the perfect, full representation of God. And that means he and he alone is worthy of our worship. And then finally, the crown jewel of all this, the reasons to worship Jesus is he is the one who purified us from our sins. He is the one who purified us from our sins. See there in verse 3, after making purification for sins he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. After Jesus had accomplished his mission, he sat down to say, it is finished. And, and think of all that he had declared finished in that moment, all that he had accomplished. Jesus and Jesus alone accomplished the fullness of the father's will down to the very second of accomplishing what his father told him to do. Jesus and Jesus alone reversed the curse of Adam on this world and on each of us. Jesus and Jesus alone overcame God's enemy, the devil, and his power over the world. Jesus and Jesus alone freed us from the bondage of sin over our hearts. Jesus and Jesus alone did that by paying the penalty for sin himself, by giving himself as a sacrifice for our sins. And as a result of all of this, Jesus and Jesus alone can grant us eternal life with God. So brothers and sisters, who else is there that's deserving of your full undivided worship? Who else is there that can be the right and full joy of a heart filled with faith toward God? Who else but Jesus? I hope we as a church can be committed to Jesus being the supreme, number one object of worship in our hearts and in our church life together. Our core value of the supremacy of Jesus means this. We believe that Jesus Christ alone is worthy of our lifelong worship and devotion. Therefore, we devote ourselves to exalting Christ in our worship, ministries, and relationships. Our prayer is that all who encounter our congregation would see Jesus high and lifted up. We want to be known as those that value Jesus more than we value anything else. And whether it's someone that comes and visits on a Sunday morning or works next to us in a cubicle in an office, we want that to be what we are known for. Now one of the ways this will tease out in the way we operate here at Castle Community Church is that we are going to be committed to being explicit about our worship to Jesus in our worship gatherings each Sunday. You know, it's possible to find lots of songs that are emotionally moving and well-written, and yet we want to put our attention most on the songs that help us to focus on Jesus himself. We want to make sure there's not a worship uh, gathering for worship we have where we do not explicitly connect the dots and say, we are worshiping Jesus together. That's true of what we sing. That's true of the words we read from Scripture. It's certainly true of the sermons that we preach each Sunday. It's also why it's such a priority for us to gather for worship. I don't know about you, but uh, certainly on a Sunday like this one, where we played with our clocks and we're all a little sleep deprived, it's easy to come up with reasons not to get up and go to church. And yet, if Jesus is supreme, then for us to gather together and worship is of the highest priority. What could be more important? What could refuel your spiritual tank, like doing the thing that is highest on the priority list according to God's scriptures? It's one of the reasons why Sunday morning is such an important part of Christian worship. And it's one of the reasons why you need to prioritize it, friend. Another implication is that we want to make sure that we keep our emphasis of Jesus at the place where scripture places the emphasis of Jesus. That means that we want to make sure that we are cross-centered in how we do life as a church. If the clearest way God has shown himself to us is through Jesus, and the clearest way we know of the character and accomplishment of Jesus is what he did on the cross, then like Paul, each Sunday we want to preach Christ and him crucified. That means each and every Sunday we preach the gospel, the fullness of the gospel. How someone is a sinner in need of the saving only Jesus could supply by his sacrifice on the cross. Uh, There was a church in Florida that was really well known while I was going through seminary. And somewhere along the way, they lost their emphasis on the cross. Uh, They instead started to value entertainment. Entertainment. They wanted to get as many people to gather together as they could, and they thought that they would use spectacle and entertainment to keep that people coming back. One particular Sunday, they decided the way to do that would be to bring a live elephant up on the platform. It was incredibly produced. Their bulletins were like an invitation to a circus. They had a a whole message that was tied into the elephant and how it fit into your life. I, I don't know how they did that part, but... But in our seminary class, we talked about it. We said, one, what do you do the Sunday after that? How do you top the elephant? But two, is it possible maybe somewhere along the way that maybe we've lost our way when we're spending less energy on preaching the cross and Christ crucified and we're spending more time trying to make things palatable and entertain people? Now, I'm not saying we're going to try to do things poorly or be boring, but I want us to be clear that we as a church are going to place our emphasis on what we think Scripture values most, and that's Jesus, our Savior, that saved us from our sins and brings us into everlasting life with God. Another way this applies is that we need to be committed together to keeping our allegiance to Jesus first and foremost above all other allegiances. There are lots of really good and even important allegiances you have in your life. I hope you have a a sense of allegiance to your family. I hope you have a sense of allegiance to your employer. I hope you have a sense of allegiance to your country. And yet as important as all of those are, our allegiance to Jesus must be supreme he must be first and alone in our hearts we can agree to disagree on a lot of things I hope that we as a church will learn to do that with humility and patience even grace toward each other I hope that we will learn that our differences of the places we grew up and the assumptions we bring to the table all of those things are they're not intrinsically bad As long as we are united on this thing that Jesus is Lord. Now that's something we got to keep recentering ourselves on again and again and again. Because those secondary allegiances love to try and work their way up to the top. But if Castleton Community Church is a church that bows its knees to Jesus as Lord first and foremost. And if that remains true of it. Decades into the future, brothers and sisters, what might God use us for? We as a church are committed to the authority of the word. We want to be whole Bible Christians. And as we're whole Bible Christians, we want to turn our attention to what the Bible says is most important. Jesus. Uh, I was thinking it might be able to put it this way. We want to be a people that's known for having worn Bibles and warm hearts toward Jesus. And if that comes to mark us as a church, if we are people that pay diligent attention to God's word, all of it, and if we bow to Jesus and Jesus alone, brothers and sisters, it is exciting to think what the Lord might use us for here in Castleton, to glorify his name, to spread the gospel of Jesus, and to encourage each other in godliness. Let's pray.